This episode, we talk about the coronavirus and how the media's lack of credibility is leading to distrust among the American people. We also talk about 4th of July and what it means to celebrate that holiday. My name is Jacqueline, and I'm just an American. According to government and health officials, the number of coronavirus cases across the country are rising, which is leading to a lot of states scaling back their openings of the economy and of different businesses throughout the state. I saw today, I believe it was about 17 states have put the brakes on opening up their economies or certain segments of their economies because of the increase in cases. Here where I live in Southern California, we are seeing the governor called for all bars and restaurants, movie theaters, anything that has an indoor portion of its business to shut that indoor portion down and only operate on patios, for example, or any outdoor areas. They have also announced here in California several beaches that are going to be closed over the 4th of July holiday weekend coming up as a means of trying to prevent people from gathering in large crowds. From what I'm seeing, people I'm talking to and you know things that I'm seeing a lot on social media, it seems that there's two sentiments that people across the country are having when it comes to the coronavirus. The first is there are a lot of people saying that they just don't know what to believe and they just don't know what to think about the information that they are being told about the virus. The second question that a lot of people are asking is, why has this pandemic become so political? It is, after all, a pandemic. It's a virus. It's an illness. And yet, everything it seems to be so political in the way that people are reacting to it. I believe that those two questions and comments are actually connected, and I think that they lead to a much larger discussion about information and trust that is taking place in the country. The reason that people are skeptical is not that they are anti-science, and it is not that they don't care about innocent people dying. That is not the case. Americans, most Americans, are good people and don't want to see innocent people die. The problem, though, is that the source of information that the entity that gives information to us about things that are going on in the world is, by and large, the mainstream media. And the mainstream media has a serious credibility problem. So when those organizations are responsible for giving Americans our data and our directions and telling us what's going on, when those organizations are the ones that we rely on to ask the questions of public officials and governments to not only get the correct information and the pertinent information, but also to push back if those institutions and governments are, you know, and government figures are saying things that don't make sense or saying things that are out of line, we rely on them. And when they fail at their job, when they, instead of bringing us information that we need or focusing on the information that the American people need and want, instead, their goal is to take this situation and use it as a political club in order to push certain narratives that they want to be pushed out into the world. Okay, so yes, 
it is the media that is politicizing and that has politicized the coronavirus pandemic in order to beat up not just on President Trump, but also on Republican governors across the country while giving Democratic governors, for all intents and purposes, a complete pass on their handling of the crisis. From the very beginning, we had people who were full on in the media blaming Donald Trump for the virus. Now, you can be critical, of course, of the way that any government official handles a crisis that finds its way to our shores. That's something that is completely reasonable. But when you actually have people, for example, the editorial board of the New York Times who are saying, well, you know, we should really call this Trump's virus or the Trump virus because it is all Donald Trump's fault. That is just ridiculous. I mean, this is a virus that started in China. And I know that that is politically incorrect to say, but I'm not one to shy away from facts because they are politically incorrect. This is a virus that started in China and it did not start in the United States. Trump has been excoriated for even pointing that out, but it is true. This is a virus that ravaged other countries and hit other countries really hard before it ever made its way here to the United States. And yet somehow this entire virus is Donald Trump's fault. President Trump did. He stopped travel from China. And at the same time, back then, he was really attacked for doing that while the Democrats in Congress were, you know, out in the streets in Chinatown encouraging people to come and get out and saying that Trump was, you know, terrible for doing that. So you can be critical of the way that something is handled by the president, by governments, by but whatnot. But to say that he handled it absolutely terribly, but all of the, you know, Democrats who were again out in the streets encouraging people to come to Chinatown and come out into the streets that they didn't handle it badly at all, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Back in March, when all of the lockdowns first happened, I, as an everyday average American, tuned in several times to the daily press briefings that were given by President Trump and the Coronavirus Task Force. And I tuned in to those briefings in order to find answers to a lot of the questions that I had. Here I was back in the middle of March as someone who works for a school. I was one of the first people to lose my job over the lockdowns from this pandemic. My child was kicked out of school. Our church closed down so we could no longer go to church. I mean, basically so many things happened to every American in this country that really took our lives and turned them upside down. Somebody close to me had passed away recently and the funeral had to to be canceled. There's a lot of things that happened that affected me and millions of other Americans. And we were looking to these press conferences in order to get some answers. What exactly was the plan of action in order to combat this virus? How long? What was the, the timetable that we were looking at in terms of, you know, how long were we looking to be shut down? What were the parameters that needed to be in place in order to open back up again? You know, these were all the questions that I had. And I was so I would get so frustrated listening to those press conferences because those journalists who were sitting in that room in the position to ask questions to president and to the task force, they were not asking the questions that I wanted answers to. Instead, they were asking questions like, so President Trump, how many dead Americans are you comfortable with seeing? Or, you know, if he said, you know, look, China is to blame for this virus, they were like, oh, why were you, why would you say that to a Chinese reporter, even though he had said that to pretty much everybody since the beginning of the pandemic? That was not helpful to me. 
It's not helpful to me as an American who wants to know when I'm going to be getting a paycheck again or when I'm going to be, you know, when my life is going to get back to normal, when my children are going to be able to re-engage in their life, in their, you know, activities and whatnot. I don't have the ability to go and sit in the press room and ask the president or the task force questions that I have. And so I am relying on these people to do so. You know, I wanted to know why the models were so wrong in so many of their predictions. And, you know, the questions, they would never really follow up on that. You know, Fauci would say, oh, well, you know, that's the, you know, things change. And they'd be like, oh, okay. You know, and it was like, hey, you know, things change, but we're shutting down our country based on these models. And when these predictions turn out to be wrong, that is really problematic. None of those questions were asked, at least as far as I was able to hear. Another way that the media really suffers in credibility when it has come to stuff particularly about this virus is the way that they present data and information. So for example, I clearly remember the day that we surpassed Italy in the number of COVID deaths that we had here in the United States. And this was just front page news, right? This was just every headline was United States surpasses Italy to become the country in the world with the highest coronavirus deaths. And there were two things that were particularly problematic about all of those headlines. Number one was you had to believe the numbers coming out of China in order to make that assertion. And nobody with any common sense believed the numbers that were coming out of China. So basically, by making that claim and by giving into that claim, you were helping parrot communist Chinese talking points that their numbers were incredibly low, which nobody really believes. Also, To compare us with Italy is really to compare apples and oranges. It is not a proper comparison. Italy is a nation with a population of 60 million people. By comparison, that's only 20 million more than just the state of California. The United States has 320 million people living here. The fact that our actual count, not a percentage, not a statistic, but the actual hard number count surpassed Italy when we had we have so such a higher population. I mean, that that makes a big difference. And yet the media presented it like they were just comparing us straight across to Italy and that that was an example of how badly the United States was doing in managing the crisis. By comparison, you know, we, we would be better off making a comparison, I think, of the United States, not just with Italy, but with the entire European Union. So just to kind of compare some numbers here, and these are actual numbers, the United States population, again, is 328 million. And... The EU has a population of about 446 million people. In comparison, the U.S. has a population of about 328 million people. So, yes, they have about 100 and some million people more than we do. Their death count is at 193,000, and ours is at about 120, 124,000, somewhere around there. And when you compare us, even if you, you know, take into account the difference in population— we still are doing pretty good on a per capita basis compared to Europe. But the more accurate way to take a look at, you know, if you want to compare different countries and how they're doing with COVID deaths would be to compare how many deaths a country has per 1 million population. You know, it's it's comparing it on a per capita basis. And when you do that, the United States is actually seventh in the world behind Belgium, the United Kingdom, Spain, Italy, Sweden, France, and then us in, at the USA. Italy, for example, since they want to compare us to Italy, has about 575 deaths per million people, and the U.S. is at about 388 deaths per million people. 
if you, you know, believe the numbers that are being reported. So that is how you would make that comparison. And yet that is not how they make that comparison. Because when you make it in those terms, then they can't say, oh, look, we surpassed Italy with a number of deaths. To say that we are doing worse than Italy, when Italy has more deaths per capita than we do, when they have more deaths per million people than we do, that is just a lie. It is, it is completely inaccurate to present it that way. And yet that is the way that they presented it to us. We've also seen, you know, headlines throughout this enti- that entire period where Italy was really suffering about, oh, their healthcare system was overwhelmed. And, you know, Italy has this amazing healthcare system. That was news to me because my father was born and raised in Italy. And my I've had a lot of relatives who have lived in Italy. And nobody has ever had anything good to say about the Italian healthcare system. My grandfather had a heart attack. And the Italian healthcare system, the doctor that he went to go see, missed his heart attack. It was not until he came to a hospital here in the United States that they did a a heart scan on him and they said, you know, hey, did, did you know that you had a heart attack about, you know, however long ago? And they did not know that. So this idea that the Italian healthcare system is positive or is wonderful, you know, that the media is saying, well, hey, if you don't know anybody who's ever lived in Italy, then you would hear that and you'd be like, oh, okay, well, I guess they have a good healthcare system. But by knowing people who lived there, I know that they actually have a very different perspective of their healthcare system. Another point in which the media has shown a lack of credibility, who is the governor in the country that has been praised all day long by the media as the beacon of how we should handle the coronavirus pandemic? It's been Governor Cuomo of New York. They have had nothing but wonderful things to say about Cuomo. They, I mean, he, it was talk that, you know, maybe he should be the Democratic candidate for president. We should put him up there instead of Joe Biden because he's done such a great job of handling the pandemic. And in the same breath, these same news organizations have beat, really beat up on Governor DeSantis of Florida and of Governor Abbott of Texas. They've really beat up on them and said, oh, they were so terrible in how they handled the situation because they refused to lock down their states fully. They refused to close beaches throughout their states. Okay, let's look at some numbers. All right. The population of New York is 19.45 million people. The population of Florida is 21.48 million people. So Florida has a population that's about 2 million more people than New York. Population of Texas, 29 million people. So about 10 million people greater than New York. And even here in California, okay, so just to be fair, okay, California has a Democratic governor. We have a population of 39.5 million people, so almost 40 million people. Death count, New York, 24,835 people as of the last time that I looked this up, which was today. Deaths in Florida, 3,447. Deaths in Texas, 2,403. And deaths in California, 5,936. Now, yes, you some of that might be taking into account the fact that people in New York live in a more urban area. They definitely live on top of each other, use public transportation a lot more than in those other states. But I just really don't think that we can say that the governor of New York did this fantastic, wonderful job dealing with coronavirus when the death count there is 24,835 people. And in these other states, it is all under 6,000. Okay, and and in Florida and Texas are both under 4,000 people. If those numbers were reversed, you absolutely would see the media saying, what is going on in Texas? Look at these stupid Republicans who are anti-science, who are not doing what they need to do in order to keep their populations safe. But one of the biggest problems, credibility problems, 
that the media, as well as a lot of Democratic governors across this country have right now, is due to the effects of the protests that we've seen. So we were told the beginning of May, okay, so I think May 7th was the date that the beaches here in Southern California opened up. And we were told all over the media, oh, look at these stupid, selfish people who just have to go to the beach. They just have to take their families to the beach. They are going to spread the COVID and people are going to die. And guess what? In two, three weeks, we're going to see a huge spike in COVID numbers. It didn't happen. We saw throughout the month of the months of April, mostly towards the end of April and throughout May, we saw a lot of protests for people, business owners and other people who wanted the nation to open up from the COVID lockdowns. And we heard the same thing. Look at all these people. They're not socially distancing. They're not wearing their masks. Um, We're going to see a huge spike in cases in about two to three weeks. That spike never happened. Then we see the BLM protests and we see once again Actually, there were not thousands of people in the other protests, but we see in this case there were thousands of people, thousands of people across the country in the streets protesting for Black Lives Matter and in the the George Floyd situation. And some of them were wearing masks. A lot of them weren't. Um, I love the revisionist history. I just love it when people are on social media saying, you know, I went to these protests and everybody was wearing masks as though we don't have video footage, you know, as though we don't have video evidence of people, you know, in these in these protests, yes, some of them were wearing masks and some of them weren't. So that, you know, and they definitely were not socially distancing. But that was fine. That was absolutely fine, okay, at the time. And, and we've talked about that before. But here's the problem that they're running into today is that now, here we are, two, three weeks later, and what are we seeing? A huge spike in the cases of coronavirus, according to these governors and these health officials. And yet they come to us and they say, no, It's not because of the protests. I mean, literally, like CNN, I think, tweeted out like 75 times that, oh, no, 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 this was not because of the, this this increase in COVID numbers is not because of the BLM protests. It is because of people who are taking their families, you know, to the beach. And now we are back to shaming people. And now we are back to the governors trying to shut down beaches and shut down bars because, oh no, that's what the problem is. But no, 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 the COVID, the, I'm sorry, the BLM protests, those were not the problem. And what they do is they're citing this study. Okay. So it's the study from the National Bureau of Economic Research that is making this claim that says that there is no evidence that shows that these pro- that those protests increased the number of coronavirus cases. Okay, let, let me just say a few things because I read through that study. First of all, any study is only as good as the information that you are able to put into it. In New York, Mayor Bill de Blasio refused to allow his coronavirus tracking people to ask people who test positive for COVID. He refused to allow them to ask people if they participated in protests. One of my local news agencies today um, sent out an article about the same study, and they really rely on people not reading through anything past the headlines. But when you click on the article and read the article, they're interviewing a doctor who says that he suspects that a lot of people who went to protests did not tell them or volunteer the information or were not honest about the fact that they attended these protests. People have lots of reasons why they may not want to admit to have been at some of these protests. And so the idea that we're even getting accurate information when information is being kept from these researchers is laughable. But the claim that the study makes is that the effects of the people protesting that the spread that happened among the people protesting was offset by 
the number of people who stayed home because of the protests. So in other words, because of these protests and because the protests got violent, you had a lot of people who might have gone out over that period who decided to stay home because they were either afraid of getting caught up in the violence or because of the curfews that cities were imposing on certain areas. And so those people decided to stay home and the people who stayed home So that means that they were socially distancing. It offset any effect that the spread among the protesters would have. That is just a very odd claim to me. That's a very odd claim to make because the reality is, is that if you have this virus spreading among, you know, hundreds and maybe even thousands of people, those people are going to go home. And they're going to go back to their houses where they live with, you know, presumably at least some of them live with other people, maybe parents, maybe grandparents or aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters. Most of the people who protested were young people. And most of the people who are testing positive, or at least a good portion of the people right now who are test have tested positive for coronavirus are young. They're under the age of 44. But no. No, they tell us, no, this is not, this is not connected. No, that is not the reason. And here's the truth. People aren't buying it. And this is a huge problem for those who are in charge right now. It is a huge problem for some of these Democratic governors who were encouraging and offering all of these words of support to these protesters who are now trying to tell law-abiding Americans that we are going to get fined or get arrested if we take our families to the beach or if we go out in public without a mask on our face. Good luck. I mean, honestly, good luck because the credibility is shot. And people see this. Look at the comments on social media, on these news articles. People are like, um, really? Really? You're going to tell me that you're going to enforce this with a heavy hand, you're telling me that I can't go, that I shouldn't go to a friend's house for a barbecue to celebrate a holiday this weekend. But those protests were perfectly fine, that that was not a problem. Okay, people are looking at those protests and saying, hey, if those protests didn't spread coronavirus, then why is anything closed down? Why is anything closed down? I should be able to go out in a crowd of people and everything should be fine. They have a huge problem on their hands. Another thing that they've been talking about a lot is claims about hospital capacity, okay? Because uh, remember, one of the big talking points is that the goal of all this is that we are trying to make sure that our hospitals are not overwhelmed with patients, which is a totally legitimate goal. That is absolutely understandable. Nobody wants to see Americans dying in hospital waiting rooms because there's no room for them and there's no um, beds and equipment for them to be cared for. Our hospitals were never overwhelmed, and they're not overwhelmed right now. I saw a news article that here, again, in Southern California, Riverside County was at 99% of ICU capacity as of Sunday. But once again, okay, they're, they're talking about this, and they're, oh my goodness, this is terrible. But when you read the article, first of all, less than, it, was, it was about 9% of those ICU beds were, were taken by COVID patients. The rest were taken by people who were in the ICU for some other reason. Um, also, all of these hospitals have plans in place to convert regular beds to ICU beds should they reach capacity. Talking to somebody, as I did this week, who works in a hospital, ICUs are not huge. There may be 10, 15, maybe 20 beds in an ICU because these are the areas of the hospital that are, you know, super intense in the treatment. But so it's not like we have hundreds and hundreds of beds that are filled in ICUs, but they absolutely 
are not in a threat of a threat situation of the hospital being overrun because they can convert regular beds to ICU beds. Okay, there's also plenty of ventilators. I think in that particular county, Riverside County, they said there was like 499 ventilators that were not being used. There were some doctors in Houston who were talking about the fact that their ICUs were in the 90%, 90 percentile of capacity, but they pointed out that a year ago, they were also in the 90th, 90th percentile of capacity for ICUs. The hospitals are doing just fine. There's also something that not a lot of people are talking about, which is that we have an increase in testing. More and more tests are being available and being made as technology is improving and these tests are being able to be manufactured more quickly. So when you have an increase in testing, you are going to have an increase in the positive cases. There's people who are having elective surgeries, for example, right now. All of those surgeries that were canceled and postponed during the the height of the lockdowns, they're going in for elective surgeries. They feel perfectly fine. They get their regular pre-op blood work done and they test positive for COVID. The CDC came out this week and said that the actual COVID numbers for cases in America is probably about 10 times greater than what we have tested, which puts that number at about 20 million Americans. There's good news and there's bad news about that. The bad news is, is that means that if that's the number, you probably have still a good like 90% of Americans who have not had coronavirus. So we're a long way off from any sort of herd immunity. But the good news about it is that that means that the death rate is significantly lower than what we are currently looking at. And in fact, an interesting thing to pay attention to is that the number of cases of coronavirus are going up, but the deaths are not going up. The deaths are staying pretty constant, pretty steady. And, you know, part of that is due to the fact that a lot of the people right now who are testing positive are young people. So whether it is because those young people attended the protests or whether it is because young people are the ones who are out and about, they're going back to work, they are going back to the bars and the restaurants because guess what? They're young, they're healthy. The odds of them, you know, having a relatively easy time with this illness should they contract it are very, very good. And so yes, they are the ones who are going out and about. But the good part about that, the positive part about that is that that means that we are going to see less deaths. Now, that could change. Deaths could start going up over the next couple of weeks. I really hope that they don't. But as of right now, this is what we're seeing. But they don't focus on any of that. What they focus on is the fear. And what they focus on are the worst possible case scenarios because they have a particular narrative that they are trying to push. People are confused and they are unsure about what is going on right now because our source of information, the media, has really low credibility among the American people. According to Forbes, only 42% of Americans report to have trust in the media. And this, of course, breaks down significantly along party lines, which is to be expected. We have a liberal biased media. So Democrats tend to have a higher level of confidence in the media who is constantly saying what they believe in. And Republicans don't have confidence in the media because they are incredibly biased. 96% of contributions, campaign contributions by journalists in the 2016 election went to Hillary Clinton. Okay, if that situation were reversed, would Democrats trust the media? No, they wouldn't. And they would be right to not trust the media. When 96% of your organization thinks a certain way, the idea that they're going to bring us unbiased information is just ridiculous. It just doesn't happen. But this is where our nation is running into a serious problem. Because again, there is no trust 
There is no trust. The people who are tasked with bringing us information about world events, the people who are tasked with getting us the information from our government leaders, because they're the ones who are sitting in those rooms being able to ask the questions, they are failing us because they are not interested in bringing us unbiased, accurate information. They are interested in pushing their narrative. And so there's no trust. There is no trust. And what do we do when there's no trust in the media, when you, you know, supposedly have this pandemic that's running through the country and the go- these government leaders are so frustrated because people aren't listening to them? Well, you know what? You guys need to take a look in the mirror. This is problematic. Over, you know, the last 10, 20, more, even more than that, you know, years, several generations really at this point, people have been talking about bias in the media and about trust in the media that is going down because of that bias. And what we are seeing is, you know, people just kind of treat it like, oh, well, I mean, conservatives are obviously going to be annoyed by it because, yeah, they're not saying what they're saying. But, you know, hey, they're saying stuff I want them to say. So I'm totally fine with it until something happens where you want people to actually have trust in what we are being told. And those people, rightfully so, do not have trust in what we are being told. Not to end on an optimistic note, considering that it's 2020 and there's not supposed to be any optimism, but there are some things that we can see that are reasoned to be optimistic. There are treatments that are continuing to work in order to lower the death count of coronavirus. Again, the fact that a lot of the numbers we're seeing right now are in young people, and young people have a much better time with this virus in general than than the older people and the unhealthy people. That means that hopefully we can actually start to move more towards some semblance of herd immunity from this virus so that you know the more young and healthy people get it, the more herd immunity we will have without having to have it go through the at-risk communities. I think that there's a lot of reasons for us to be hopeful about the future and about, you know, how this thing is going. But I, it's just a very difficult thing to work through this situation when so many people, justifiably so, do not have trust in the information that we are being given Um, And these are the people that we are supposed to trust. Just a quick note, something, and I know I'm probably way over my time, but something that I want to say because we have switching gears, but we have the 4th of July holiday coming up this weekend. And I know that there's been a lot of discussion in the country lately about our founding and about our institutions and and our government and our country and our country's history. And one of the things that I've seen, you know, a little bit throughout the country, and it's, it's, it's not everybody, it's not average Americans, it is the extremists, and it is the radicals, but people who are have taken to calling the 4th of July a white supremacist holiday. And, you know, basically saying that if you celebrate the 4th of July, you're celebrating white supremacy, you're celebrating slavery, you're, sla- you're celebrating racism and all of these horrible things because those things were alive and well in our country in 1776. So I just want to say a quick thing about, about that. There are two types of people in the world. There are those who believe in the first group that our human rights come from God, that As human beings, we are inherently born 
with certain human rights that are given to us by our creator. This was specified in the Declaration of Independence, right? It was the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then later in the United States Constitution, rights such as freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom to practice your religion the way that you want, freedom to be able to defend your family and your property. These are all rights that people believe are inherent to each and every human being. They are basic human rights. And that those rights are given to us by our creator. And that the sole purpose of government is to ensure for its people that we continue to have those rights. Our founders were a part of that group of people. The second group of people are people who believe that our rights come from government. And whether it is because they are atheist and so they don't believe in a creator or whether it is just because they believe in majority rule and that there are no inherent rights or because they believe in moral relativism, whatever it is, they believe that the rights come from government. When you take that worldview, because these they really are separations of worldview. It's nothing less than that. When you take that worldview, that our rights come from government, then if the government is not behaving perfectly in upholding those rights, that government is evil, period. There's no other way around it. And so they look back on the founding fathers and they say, hey, that government failed in giving equal rights to everybody in the country and therefore that government was evil, it was terrible, and it should not be celebrated in any way. But if you believe that rights come from a creator and that government is only responsible for protecting those rights, then it kind of creates two separate situations. Because when you believe that there are rights that are given to us by our creator, those rights cannot be taken away. And that is what our founding fathers established for us when they established this country, when they founded this country, when they declared us an independent country from Great Britain. They founded our country on a set of values. And those values were that every single human being has inalienable rights that were given to us by our creator. Where they failed was to apply those values and that foundation to every single American. They didn't apply it to women. They didn't apply it to African-Americans for sure. But what are we celebrating when we celebrate the 4th of July? Because I'm a woman. I'm a woman. And my, you know, if I lived in 1776, I would not have the right, the same rights as a, ma- as a man, as a white man at that time. And yet I proudly celebrate the 4th of July. And I proudly consider myself a patriot of the United States of America. And it is because it is the values that this nation has been founded under. It is the values that were the building blocks for the United States of America that have allowed us to continuously over our 244-year history move forward towards a place where those values and those inherent rights are protected for all of the people who live here. That is what we are celebrating when we celebrate the 4th of July. That is what people believe in when they believe in our country. We are celebrating those values and those building blocks. We are celebrating every American who fought for those values, who died for those values, whether it was George Washington to put the building blocks into place, all the way to Abraham Lincoln, who presided over the Emancipation Proclamation to put an end to slavery, to Susan B. Anthony, who fought for women to have the right to vote, to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who fought against racism and who fought against the Jim Crow laws that were in this country 
to every living American who has ever served in our military, black and white and every other race, male or female, who has stood up and signed on that dotted line to promise that they would be willing to give their life for our country. That is what we celebrate. We celebrate the values that have allowed us to move forward and make progress so that those rights can be guaranteed for all people. Nobody thinks our nation is perfect. There are things that we all want to change and that we all want to improve. But the values that we were formed on have given us the amazing quality of life that we have now, which is a quality of life that far surpasses any human beings who have lived through history. I mean, the way that the middle class in America live now, even the way that some of the lower classes live now, would be considered riches to people who lived 244 years ago, back in 1976. Those are the values that we continue to celebrate on the 4th of July. And those are the values that we need to stand up and we need to fight for when we tur- we look around us and see all of the chaos and all of the people who are trying to tear this country apart because they believe that the rights come from government, which means that they get to deny us our rights. They get to change our rights. They get to determine what our rights are, if only they can get the power to do so. So to all of my fellow Americans, whether you are liberal or conservative, to all of my fellow Americans who recognize this country for all of its flaws and for all of its challenges, but recognize it for the amazing country that it is based on amazing values, I hope you have a wonderful 4th of July and a wonderful weekend celebrating. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps each and every week. Also, please share this episode with a family member or friend so we can help spread the word. You can follow me on Twitter at JJAnAmerican. You can also message this show by sending emails to JJ at I'mJustAnAmerican.com. Thank you for taking a moment out of your day to talk about the coronavirus and our nation's Independence Day. I'll be back next time for a deep dive into issues plaguing American life from the perspective of just an American. Music for this podcast was written and performed by Michael Beatty. You can find him on Twitter at Michael Beatty 3.